from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Long podcast. I am Harry, joined as always by our main host, who is sounding a little crispier than he has been in the last couple of weeks. Tim, how are you? Hello, everybody. I'm very well. Uh, yeah, um, if you're living in the UK right now, you probably have noticed to some extent how horribly hot it is. Um, and as a, as a pasty white dude myself, I do not cope in this kind of heat whatsoever. Um, normally, I would record segments of the podcast um, as I leave the gym, sort of an incentive to go to the gym to record the podcast afterwards, in a nice cool car in the shade. Um, I got in a car today to go to the gym, and the steering wheel was too hot to drive, so I got back in the house. Um, so we're using what is the normal setup. And the reason we've done this so far is just because of Wi-Fi problems, but we should be okay. I mean, if this works, we'll do this from now on, I guess. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. How are sounds you coping good. with the heat, Harry? How do you find it? Right. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I am currently living in student accommodation. I'm on the eighth floor of these apartment buildings that don't have to my knowledge, no kind of air conditioning. <laughs> so um, when I'm not recording, I have my window open, I have my fan on, and usually I have my shirt off, and that's just about bearable. You know, yeah. I can live with that. I can manage with that. For the podcast, for good audio and for um, public decency, <laughs> the public being Tim, I close the window, I turn off the fan, and I put on a T-shirt. So I've got... It's all right. I've got a bigger glass of ice cubes we've been with me going, that I may be sucking on. How have we been recording for now? Two minutes, and I've already drank most of this bottle of water. Um, so <laughs> this, could be, this could be one of those episodes where we go slightly crazy towards the end of segment just because of the heat. But um, it's good. I'm looking at myself on this, on like my little picture. My eyes are all red and squinty <laughs> because my eyes have just been watering nonstop for the last few days just because of the heat. It's great. I love it. My clothes are already starting. This is horrible. I'm wearing a white so t-shirt get... and it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm so glad people can't that's, see that's us. That's why. Uh, I, I know. I know that it's probably not as good for like heat absorption. But if I wear something like that's a darker color, you can't see the sweat as clearly. Well, that... It might just be a shadow. <laughs> I wore know. a purple t-shirt the other day. I only owned two. I wore them back to back just because I found that once I wore a purple t-shirt, it was a lot cooler. So there's a tip for everybody. Not necessarily a white t-shirt. Try purple. Or, or a light blue, I bet's good as well. Interesting. Mm. Sorry, Doctor Who. So should we start talking about <laughs> Doctor Who? Yeah, this is a Doctor Who uh, podcast. It is. Doctor Who. So um, you sent me a few things which are quite interesting. Mm. The first one covers a couple of actors who have been rumoured to be the replacement for Jodie Whittaker on Doctor Who. I'm not sure where they've exactly. got these names from. <laughs> this is why I sent um, it over. But the name... Yeah, but the names that they sent, that they suggest, are, first of all, Get Out and Black Panther star Daniel <laughs> Kalula, and also the star of 
former EastEnders um, star of yesterday, uh, Himesh Patel. Yeah, these this is so little insight into how the podcast goes. During the week, I'll search Doctor Who on Google and I'll find various news sources and I'll send them over. And this week's been pretty dry, but this one popped up and I was like, oh, interesting. But um, for anybody who knows anything about movie news online, the the, the website we got this covered. Uh, tends to not have jack shit covered and just tends to make a lot of their stuff up. And I saw this and I read it and I thought, there, there is no article that Terry, there is no like from out, there's no like rumored because they've been hanging around or seen with it. It's just like, yeah, we think these might be a good idea. And it's just like two random stars. I think one of them might be suggested because yesterday was on BBC Two a week ago. So they probably saw that on telly and thought, oh, he'll be good. And the Get Out star is—he's is way too big for Doctor Who. The thing is, the thing is, like I because I, there was a link to the article on Daniel Clue specifically, and um, they say that he doesn't have anything in his filming schedule coming up. But surely he's going to be in the next Black Panther film, isn't he? Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, I imagine they're trying to get everybody for that. Yeah, so. I can't remember what happened to him, Black Panther. What happened with him? I- um, wasn't he like the guy from like the other? He wasn't part of like the city. He was part of that other tribe or something. It's been a while since I saw Black Panther. I only saw it the once, but um, I'm gonna have a look at his I IMDb. I, I don't want to pronounce his name because I know I will get it wrong. But if you could just tell me his name again, Harry. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, two That's U's. It, Kaluuya. That's it. I always. I can never pronounce his surname. Daniel Kalula. Here we go. On his IMDb. Um, let's go to his old filmography. Actor. Yeah, he's got like two things coming up. Neither of them are the neither of them are the are the current upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever. He has untitled Jordan Peele Horror Event and the Upper World, whatever that is. So yeah, I don't. We got this covered. Is this amazing website where you can write anything and just say it's true, and nobody really seems to question it because you've put it on. We got this covered, so people just take it for granted that it's going to be wrong. Um, it's yeah. I just I thought it was such a strange article when I found it. My you know it, there was not not much else going on in the week of Doctor Who news, and I saw. I was like, this is this is bizarre. Like how. Whoever wrote this, it's not just that one person that we got this covered. And I used to write for What Culture, so I know about maybe blurring the lines a little bit to make things more interesting. But like sometimes I'm like, where, 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 where has this come from? Apart from your mind, where, where have you come up with this? The thing I really don't get about uh, Patel in this one is that they say that, like, they pretty much debunk the possibility of him playing the next Doctor, because they say he's going to appear in an upcoming HBO Max series. So if he's tied to that, then surely that makes the idea of him being coming to be on BBC's Doctor Who way less Can likely. Can you say what the HBO Max thing is? Uh, it's called Station Eleven. I've never heard of it, never but I'm sure it. it's good if it's HBO. Yeah, um, crazy, I know. I just love we got this covered. I think they're a great laugh, so I send that one over. <laughs> hmm. I was in Tenet. Oh yeah, he yes he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, this is what I found strange about that article as well. Yesterday, an EastEnders star. He was in. He was in the Christopher one of the biggest movies of last year. Well, the, because the headline is Tenet actor reportedly eyed, but I guess they say te, Tenet's kind of the biggest property they could tie him to. So people are like, oh my god, is it is it is it Robert Pattinson? Is it Michael Caine? 
is it um Michael Caine? Is it um uh what was the guy who was doing the accent? That oh, was... um, Kenneth Branagh. Was that Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, we've talked about we've talked about it before. before. Go back and find that episode. I think we spent a good half hour talking about that film. Well, I, I like the fact that when we recorded that, was, like, that we one of them. we re- yeah we recorded that. Um, like two days after we saw it, but obviously it didn't go out for like three months. So like everybody who listens to it was like, "Why are these two guys still so angry about this movie?" That was like back in the really, really early days. Where it was mid lockdown. We had nothing to do. Yeah, series one. So we just were doing so many episodes. So we were way, way ahead of schedule. And honestly, we've still been kind of riding on that being ahead of schedule until fairly recently where we've had to have a more consistent recording schedule. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I was, yeah, I was thinking because we record there's a couple of things scheduled. And at one point we had like 12 videos scheduled or 12 podcasts scheduled at one point. Um now we have two. And that's not because we're not producing anything. It's just that the way we've recorded stuff's changed slightly. It's like we have an interview coming out. I mean, everybody knows about it. It's the uh um, Column Sanson Regan interview who was David Tennant's body double. We did that the other day, that was really good. That won't be coming out till like October though. And there's also a video with Harrison which comes out in August time. So, um, yeah, all fun. Oh, didn't know about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Other news, Harry, what else Joking do we have? Harrison videos behind my back. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the next one is something I'd heard about uh before you'd sent to me, which is that, um, Doctor Who's Time Fracture, the uh, immersive theatre show in London, has been hit by flood damage, and the show has therefore been cancelled all the way through to July the 18th. Oh, wait, that's... That was yesterday. That's yesterday. <laughs> oh, it's... Fr- oh, it's from... Oh, does that mean that it's no longer cancelled? <laughs> Up-to-date news, everybody. We're reporting on the closure of an event that's already reopened. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw this earlier in the week um, that basically Doctor Who Time Fracture had to cancel performances up to and including Sunday the 18th of July due to a flood in the building which badly damaged the set. Um, but general, everyone, you know, because... they handled it very well. Yeah, I've yeah. seen some of the video, I've seen all the video footage from this and all the photos and it looks so immersive. Like I know, obviously, it's going to be going to be immersive, but like I've seen, like everybody who's come out of it who I've spoken to on Twitter and seen people's tweets has just gone on about like how great it is and like the tiny little details. So the fact that a lot of it got damaged by flood work, and I imagine some of it might have been able to be thrown away and rebuilt super quickly and things like that. And uh, that's man. But yeah, I thought I thought that'd be interesting because somebody who is. Um, studying for an MA in acting, um, that must be like a proper bummer for a production just to suddenly go on hot like that, especially when it isn't COVID-related in a COVID time. Mm, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're at a point where everyone in the industry is just so eager to be doing things and to be a part of things after so long. And Time Fractures, from what I've heard, I remember, I feel bad about it being kind of sceptical as to how much of an audience there would be for something like Time Fracture. Because from what I've seen, it's doing incredibly well. It's like getting updates and things, adding new storylines. It's kind of this continual thing. And it seems, for all intents and purposes, it might be a pretty permanent fixture in London now. So 
I, I got to eat my hat on that one. Time Fracture's doing very well. Yeah. I'm off to London um, in... But anyway, back sorry, to the Sorry, yeah, point. I was going to say I'm off to London in August, so there's a temptation to go and, go and visit if I've got time, but uh, I'll have to wait and see. Well, as a semi Can we call ourselves semi-professional Doctor Who journalists? Is that... The sort of title I want. <laughs> If, I, if people want to call us it, they can. I just won't accept it. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. There's reason for you to go. I would like to go. We time fracture. I would like to go. It's just if I've mm. got time. But if I if I do, if I can work it in, I'll go. I will spoil it all. <laughs> Tell everyone about what happened. Every time, every time, every time, one of the doctors of yoga. Oh my god, it's Alex Kingston! <laughs> Shout the actor actor's name <laughs> instead of being amazed by the character. Oh my god, that, that, that's Paul McGann! <laughs> oh, I wonder how much they're paying Jodie for this VR. Yeah, one. <laughs> just like really like cynical comments under my breath. Oh, I see the license fee license fees being spent to good use. <laughs> I mean, is it affiliated with BBC? My understanding is the only stuff affiliated with BBC was the show itself, and everything else was kind of um, licensed out. Yeah, you're probably right there. I think it's the case that whoever the company is that produces, they go to see, the they get their Doctor Who license to make this, and then they possibly pay mm. the license off by tickets and stuff like that. Yeah. I'll have to wait and see. And we're big enough to make our own Doctor cool. Who licensed products. Curtains. Specialising mm, yeah. Doctor Who curtains. You know, you know earlier when I said this could be one of those like... episodes where it goes really weird. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's already there. <laughs> the power of uh, dehydration. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody else is having a lovely sunny, a sunny day. Anyway, let's move on. The, 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 mention is, the, the momentum is slow today. I promise it gets better later on, yeah. guys. <laughs> You were saying about... Guys, David Tennant is back. David Tennant's back, guys. Hooray! He's back again. Hooray, what's he doing? He's back in... He's doing uh, another big finish. Doctor Who Dalek Universe 2. Yes. He's back with Jane Slavin and Joe Sims. Joe Sims from Broadchurch as well. big finish. Who's from Broadchurch? Who did he play in He was Nige. In Broadchurch. Broadchurch, spoilers! He was, was the one who killed Danny. Dan- Nigel didn't kill Danny. No, not, uh, yeah, he did. Nigel, you're in Nigel. Yeah. No, that was, he didn't Which kill Which one Danny. was Nigel? Same... Wasn't yeah. Nigel Jody's husband? No, that, no, 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 he didn't. No, who was... I, what's his name? He, he, he was his friend, though, wasn't he? Like, he's, he's um, like a building partner. It was, it was, it was the character. Okay, we're going to get into super broadcast spoilers. Get a virtual project Just series one. Watch broadcast series one if you Danny. haven't. No, 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 no. It was Olivia Coleman's husband whose character name was Joe. Ah, uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you are right. And oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah no, Nige right. was the prime. That. Yeah. Nige for the longest time was one of kind of the prime suspects I remember, in the case because they cast two actors who like looked the same, twist. didn't they? So that they could play it. I mean, yeah, they were both. Because I remember there was a was whole thing one, where it was, was like, "Oh, I saw Nige on the beach, a tall, bald man." It was like, "Oh no, it was actually 
uh, Olivia Coleman's husband. I remember watching Broadchurch and working out like the second to last episode that night that um, Olivia Coleman's husband had done it and being like super excited. I was like, I've worked it out. <laughs> I remember my mum, I don't think my mum actually knew, but she read some kind of article or something where it's kind of like looking at the likelihood of each main character. And basically she picked the one that was the least, that they kind of said was the least likely, which was Joe. It was like, I'm going to put money on him. Didn't actually put money on him, but basically. Broadchurch yeah. was great. I think I remember it's thinking, been a while since a show like that yeah. captured uh, the nation. It's very, it was like that sort of Sherlock when he jumps off the roof yeah. sort of thing again. Yeah, I mean, I guess the closest thing I think recently was shows like, I guess, normal people, but that was largely influenced by lockdown. Well, I was thinking stuff like uh, Line of Duty as well, but that seems to have oh, a Oh, yeah, Line deadly... of Duty. People were hooked by Line of Duty, mm. yeah. But I think that... Broadchurch was something that you could, um, where when it started to get momentum, people started to tune into it because it was the first series. But because this wasn't the first series of Line of Duty, I feel a lot of people kind of just went, oh, I'm not going to bother. Because it was the last series of Line of Duty, wasn't yeah. it? But that was the thing, because there was all kinds of anticipation, because it was like going to have a big explosive finale. Yeah. I just didn't watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, David Tennant's back. <laughs> He is, isn't he, Harry? Um, did you? It's hard. I mean, David Tennant's been back so many times. It's hard to think of new things to say about David Tennant being back. Well, I sent you this. Did you have you had a chance to check out the trailer for Dalek Universe Two? I haven't checked out the trailer. I imagine it's David Tennant putting. I, mean, I don't know. You tell me about it because I should I'll tell you what. It. We'll How pa- pause this and go and watch it because it's a really, really well done video graphic. If you want to pause the recording and go and find it. Okay. Uh, Harry, you just watched the trailer for Dalek Universe 2, a big finished thing that only a niche portion of our audience will be interested in. What do you think about it? I thought it the tr- it's a very well put together uh, trailer. One thing you said, it's very reminiscent of that Dave the Doctor teaser where it had kind of all the stills yeah. in kind of like slow-mo slash frozen time yeah, of different doctors very much of that very well to put together it lends itself well to kind of doctor who that aesthetic yeah. and actually listening to it i mean it's another it's kind of cool in a way that kind of david Tennant in big finish has gotten to a point where kind of with the early stuff it was always like it was david Tennant with, with donna david Tennant with rose and very much evoking back to the rtt era now it seems david Tennant as a 10th doctor in Big Finish has very much kind of become integrated into the world of Big Finish as a whole. And it can just kind of do just standard Big Finish stuff now without feeling like it needs to appeal back to that original RTD era. Yeah, I feel like they're expanding on it rather than just filling in gaps. And I think I think it's been it's been long enough since that series has been on that like I always wondered when I was younger, like the McCoy stuff and the Baker stuff and the, you know everything like that. I was always like, oh, how much does this tie in? Like, how how open ended was the series that they've been able to do hundreds of these audio adventures? But now that it's been like close to nearly twenty years since Doctor Who came back, um, like rounding up, obviously, um, you sort of lose distance from it a little bit and you're kind of more accepting, especially if you watched it when it first aired, to expansion that doesn't necessarily fit the canon exactly. Mm. If you know what I mean, you sort of just can yeah, kind of not... enjoy the and... stories. It doesn't really matter that much. 
Yeah, and it's kind of good that it's very non-specific to where it fits in. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, there are multiple points of time in which the 10th Doctor was by himself. And then you don't need to be specific as to where and when exactly it goes in. Yeah. You just kind of accept it. It's just like more stories. You know, Big Finish, we love stories. <laughs> I think this yeah. Dalek Universe um, stuff is after the end of time, I think is when that is. So it's after... Um, series four. You mean after? You mean Journey's after end, Journey's yes. End? It's after Journey's End and before whatever those last ones are called. Yeah. Yeah, the time. It's just the year <laughs> specials. Whatever it is, yeah. Aye. Yeah. So it's sort of set within. Yeah. I suppose that's quite good though, because there's loads of room to play around in those. Yeah. Because I remember, I don't think there was ever like any kind of canonical period on it. But I heard half fans very often speculated that after Journey's End, the Tenth Doctor kind of travelled around for like a hundred years or something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like, I like stuff like that where it's like later reveals of stuff where they go, you know, didn't think of it at the time. They go, oh yeah, that's true, whatever, and they just kind of throw it out there because it's kind of it's more fun for the fans as well, isn't it? So sort of speculate ex- extra stories and stuff that could have gone in that plot. Uh, but yeah. going back to that trailer, I'm sure. Of, like... Sorry, go on. No, no, no. I was going to say, go back to that trailer. The, trailer. the big finished trailers now are like so well produced and they're, they're just really visually exciting to look at. Um, like you watch that Doctor Who one just then for Dalek Universe and he's almost a shot for shot remake of that 50th Save the Day advert. Like the way the camera spins around the Doctor and the Dalek and the Doctor standing on a big rock at the end with a load of sonic screwdrivers flying around him and stuff like that. It's exactly the same. But um it looks amazing and they they've done some before like if you go back to like when they were celebrating the fiftieth of anniversary of Doctor Who and even the fortieth, like they were just like putting pictures to music, like really basic movie maker studio stuff. And then you look what they're doing now and it's amazing. Mm. Like we sp- I spoke to Anthony Lamb. I wanna say his name is it yeah it's Anthony Lamb. Um, who is a graphic designer at Big Finish, and we spoke about stuff like that. And it's really interesting how they all sort of work together and sort of produce these really amazing pieces of work. It's great. I can tell this is kind of like a team effort. All the images and the music and the sounds and just the every the animation yeah. of it is a very cool thing. One thing that I also notice, uh, this is going back to the Big Finish itself, David Tennant's performance as the tenth doctor in Big Finish, there's a there's something different about yeah. it compared to when you place the doctor in live action. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think we mentioned it as well when we did Chris's audio adventures. We sort of said like, I think I've said it when I spoke with Harrison as well. We sometimes did a podcast with that. These audio performers are usually ninety five percent accurate, but there is something you never fully put your finger on what that five percent difference is. But I think it's because they can't rely on visual character telling that they really sort of hamp up the performance of the audio so sometimes it's I've, i sometimes feel like maybe it comes across more of a, of a of a caricature of the character especially in the earlier stories and to be fair with tenant we're still quite early on in his big finish tenure i think it's only been like three years something like that um whereas you look at someone like baker and peter davidson these guys have been doing that for like 20 plus years so they've kind of yeah. sunken into that so i think it'll be interesting to see uh, what would be interesting is to ask these guys especially david who's relatively who's the most recent actor to play the doctor on telly and then goes a big finish to ask what have you made deliberate changes to how you play the doctor 
100%, yeah. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder if slash when um, David comes back for something like the 60th, would the performance we see from him there be closer to what he's doing in Big Finish because that's what he's been doing more recently? Mm. Or maybe he'd kind of slip back into how he performed it on screen if he was back in that kind of TV studio. Yeah, I, may, I, would, I would like to say the second one just because I imagine that once you put your costume on and stuff like that, everything comes back. Whereas I'm very, I, I, I know yeah. it's not, I'm not going to say it. I think it might be. David is not stood in a big Finnish studio dressed up as the Doctor um, doing a voice acting gig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know, we know, you know, like, we know that he owns... He does own um, a costume, a, copy, yeah. he, a version of his costume. <laughs> do, just, do you think every Doctor owns their costume in some form? Do you think Chris has a leather jacket? I mean, I imagine Chris has a leather jacket. I don't imagine it would be the ninth Doctor leather jacket because wasn't that like a navy jacket or something? I don't think. I, I'm trying to think what I know. I know David has his costume. I know that. I know Matt has a sonic screwdriver and a bow tie. Mm. Um, I don't know what Peter Capaldi has. He probably has something. I'm, I imagine they all got they all get given is, their sonic. Yeah. Hmm. I think with Capaldi is Capaldi went through he had so many different kind of alterations he was probably the most diverse had the most diverse wardrobe of any Doctor we've yeah. seen but it's still iconic it's hmm. every costume he wears is so different every, I love every one of them anyway well, I look forward to that when we get yeah. to that era because that's an era like neither of us are that sure on yet so it'd be interesting to sort of really dive all that sort of in, indulge on a show that we don't really know <laughs> Aye, absolutely. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Any so, more news? Uh, go on. <laughs> yes, we have... Well, that was about to go into the last bit of news, which is kind of like the biggest thing we have this week, oh, which yeah. is some leaked set photos from Series 13, it yeah. looks like. I'm just going to get the photos up on my phone as well so I can interact with this. But... Uh, Aye, I'm going to get them up also. But yeah, um, a, a while ago we spoke about the idea that there was going to be a Doctor Who Pirate episode, and then the next week it was confirmed that that was filming... And then they sit there. I think they filmed about two weeks ago and then they went on a week break from studio stuff, I believe. And then they're back out doing some location filming on this same pirate episode. And there's lots of photos. John Bishop was there. And you just look at that photo of John Bishop and you know it's a pirate episode because even though he's wearing a big old pink fluffy coat, you can see in his shoes. Sorry, sorry, Tim. Tim, what's his, what's uh, his name? John Bishop. <laughs> you can see in his shoes there Thank that he's. He's got his big old boots on. Uh, a lot of TARDIS sets. It's trying to, I'm not sure where they've been filming. I imagine Wales. But one thing that I, that I really liked and that you noticed as well is that poor old Tolson Cole, they're still using his chair. They got <laughs> poor for getting John Bishop a new chair for when they decided to film the new series of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the th- I'm not gonna lie. The first thing I thought when I saw this was, "Wait, wait, is is is, is Tozin on set?" But no, it is most likely, like you said, they're 
just using his chair for John or something yeah. along those lines. I always like seeing these set photos appear because I'm always really interested in TV production. But that one picture of the TARDIS dismantled without a roof on just looks so yeah. strange, doesn't it? And it sort of, I don't like seeing it either because it sort of ruins the illusion. <laughs> yeah. There's something a little, yeah, disheartening about it. Like there's the other one where you kind of, the whole thing's put together and it looks great. And it's like, oh, it's the TARDIS. Yeah. And you can kind of suspend your disbelief. When you when you can see, like, the wooden boards on the inside. Yeah. And Where it just clips Because together. obviously in the show, yeah. What do you... it's not, you don't think of it like, you don't think of it as like a piece of Ikea flat pack furniture. But obviously that's probably how it's constructed. Yeah. So you can put it up and take it down wherever you go. What do you think the to the all these set photos up being leaked? Because it's fair to say that there's been a lot of leaked set photos from Not Too Series 13. We've done a lot of videos about them. Yeah. You're listening to another one right now. Um, so <laughs> what's that? I mean, something like this. There's something like this. That is all right. It's fine. It's harmless. I feel the times when I feel bad are when you get uh, photos of stuff like, say, um, Cybermen or Weeping Angels, like something that would have been like a big reveal in the series that now just everyone who's in the know knows about it and is yeah. expecting it. Do you think they should announce the, the if they know it's going to get leaked? Like Weeping Angels and stuff, we know they're coming back. We've seen Jodie interacting with Weeping Angels. So do you think they should do like what they did with the Jadoon, which is go, they're back. We're doing the Weeping Angels this year just to sort of that, I feel that's more exciting than going, oh, here's an iPhone photo. Hmm. I feel like, so, yeah, and kind of making an event of it. But then it's a tough one with something, especially, like, Daleks, because we know Daleks are coming in some form at some point, whether that's this series or as part of a holiday special. And it's... They want to make the Daleks, like, they want to have build-up to it, they want to make it an event, but they don't want to pull away from what's coming before yeah. it. I don't know. I'm, and I don't really know how, especially when they're doing these outdoor shoots, how you can man, maintain that level of secrecy when you're filming in a public place like yeah. that. Yeah, it must suck, though, to like have these ideas and be really excited about them. But that said, uh, Doctor Who recently, especially since Chibnall's been showrunner, has been pretty good at keeping a lot of secrets under wraps. Um, Captain Jacks was saying that was kept pretty well hidden. And the whole thing of the Timeless Child, that was kept hidden. The Return of the Mask, that was kept hidden. There was a lot of stuff that we haven't really known about. Well, as you go back to the Moffat era, like when John Simberson, they announced it. They were like, yeah, John Simberson's coming back to play the Master. And we were like, oh, we, we, we mm. didn't want to know that. <laughs> yeah, in terms of like actual plot leaks, script leaks, stuff like that, there's been absolutely nothing. The only stuff that really has been leaked has been visual stuff, stuff like such as set photos. Anything in terms of actual story content, we don't know what happens in any of these episodes. We have no idea. We just kind of know what bits of it might be looking like. Yeah. What, what, out of all the set photos we've seen so far, Weeping Angels, um, Sontarans, Daleks and all that, what are you most excited for that we've seen? What's the thing that you've seen and gone, oh, that's interesting? Probably Santarans, because we've seen they've had some sort of redesign. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that will also come with some kind of change to their characterization, how they're treated. And that that's something, like I said, we can't infer just from these photos. That's something we're going to have to wait until we see the writing and the direction and the performances yeah. 
to kind of make a judgment on. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. That's one I'm most excited for as well. I'm also looking forward to seeing Weeping Angels return. I've never really been a big fan of Weeping mm. Angels post Blink, but it's a nice little. Uh, and this throwback. is going to be the first non. It'll be the first non Moffat Weeping Angels story. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we said that before. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yeah. 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 I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, Harry, or is that all Hoovian stuff? I think that's all the stuff this week. Yeah, I think I put on the end of the show notes yeah. some more recommendations, but I can't really. Oh, I tell you what, I've been watching. Um, I, I've been, because it, for those in the know, which is every person ever who listens to us in the UK, is that we we recording this on the nineteenth, which is Freedom Day. Hallelujah. Uh, where all legal... Is that what people are calling it? Freedom Day? Freedom Day. All legal COVID restrictions are all lifted, so you don't have to wear your face mask unless you're told otherwise by a shopkeeper and stuff like that. Um, so, like, I've, I kind of have been... Here's my... Okay, so, I think if you want to stay inside and you don't want to go out and socialise because you're still anxious, that's totally fine. And if you want to go out and socialise, that's totally fine. But you think no matter which party you're on, you've got to be respectful of the other person's opinion. And I've sort of been sort of stuck in the middle because my job is as a nightclub photographer, which means I have to go out to nightclubs and socialise with people. But I, it's also the thing of not wanting to go out and socialise before that because I don't want to get COVID and then not be able to go out and socialise for money. <laughs> so I've been staying inside a lot and I've, I've literally finished it today uh, re-watching Phoenix Nights, the PCK 2000 sitcom um that thing is brilliantly funny and i think i've only seen it all the way through three or four times unlike something like the office which i've watched loads and i don't know why i don't it a lot i think it's because there's two seasons but it is genuinely fantastic i think pk is a genius as well and i just before we we started this recording i Found um, Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere online as well. I'm going to start rewatching that as well. It is a strange one how kind of Peter Kay and Ricky Gervais largely were kind of contemporaries. However, nowadays, I don't feel like people ever kind of remember the work of Peter Kay in the same way that they do remember the work of Gervais. Although I'd say they're both equally funny in their own ways. In some cases, I think Kay's work was even even funnier. Like I think Peter Kay's stand up is like in a whole league of its yeah. own compared to someone like Gervais. Yeah. And then like something like Phoenix Knights, really funny. Did I mean if you remember like that one off special you kind of like Britain's got the pop factor. That yeah. was a brilliant parody of all those talent shows. And that really maybe it's because something like that specifically is so of its era. Yeah. Like I mean the talent show format in the UK is kinda dwindling. But no, I think those shows were so funny, so good. Phoenix Nights especially is brilliant. 14th of the year. Well, they both aired. The Office and Phoenix Nights aired in the same year. So, And I'm quite surprised there hasn't been like a 20-year anniversary thing for Phoenix Nights because there was for The Office. I know the BBC interviewed Ricky again and, you know, I think Steve did a couple of podcasts. I always bums me out that the two of them sort of don't stuff together anymore. I'm not... Ex- I don't expect them to write That's anything, strange, but yeah. I'd expect them for something like this, like the 20th anniversary of what made them household names in England. At least like do like a joint statement or something like that. Or Do you know what I mean? Or do an interview together with the BBC. Mm. But then I also think, did the BBC just ask Ricky? Did they even bother to ask Steve? Do you know what I mean? I mean, you think they would. 
It's strange to think about because, yeah, it was the show that kind of made both of them. And obviously they've both done great things since. And I guess it was just because their careers have taken such extreme kind of trajectories in different directions. Yeah. I'm I'm a big yeah. fan of them both. And I listen to a lot of the old XFM radio stuff. Uh, but one thing I will say is that if you watch an interview with Stephen Merchant now, like if you watch his Oxford thing, like where he spoke to this other Oxford or Cambridge, whatever he did, and like he speaks to Stu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, when me and Ricky did this, you know, we would sit there and like I would be typing and Ricky would be acting it out. And, you know, then we go for lunch and Ricky came up with this idea and we built on it and stuff like that. But when you watch Ricky's version, it's when I wrote The Office, I was sort of thinking this and then I sort of came up with this. He never really mentioned Steve, which always sort of bums me out. And I think a lot of people have noticed that as well. Um, so I don't know, man. Those things in it, but yeah. Especially if you compare that to something like Ruth James and James Corden, I can't think of a single time that kind of one of them has tried to take complete ownership of Gavin Stacey. Yeah, that's always been quite. You know, it's everyone kind of understands. That's both of their thing in yeah. equal respects. I remember when that when the yeah. like, Christmas special of Gavin Stacey came out, and like because now James was big in America, they did like it got picked up over there a little bit, like in the news, like variety and stuff like that. And I remember like loads of headlines being like James Corden returns with his hit sitcom and stuff like that. And these are all like the American outlets, and obviously they get put on Twitter, and all the comments was British people going, "What about what about Ruth? <laughs> what about Ruth Jones? She came and she wrote it." <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, have you been watching anything I Harry, mean, that um, you wanna you wanna recommend? Anything at all? I mean, it's hard to recommend because I saw some Shakespeare in the park. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Stratford this weekend. What was he doing there? I had some friends in a Shakespeare I had some friends in Shakespeare plays. And so I went to Stratford upon what was, Avon. What was the uh, what was the play? Uh the two friends I saw were in the taming of the shrew. Okay, um, I'm trying here. Which one's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the comedies. Um, it's the one about like the the main romance is this guy who wants to marry this woman, but this woman she's very defiant, and so it's like she's a shrew. I'm going to tame her. It doesn't hold up great <laughs> through a lot of modern lenses. But to their credit, they did a lot of choices with the characters to kind of make it work a bit better um, in a modern (laughs) lens. And then the other show was uh, Much Ado About Nothing, which is... I know that. um, About these... Yeah, do you know Much Ado? Yeah. I know because David Tennant and Catherine Tate did it when they left Doctor Who. (laughs) Yes, they did. I've not seen that version yet. It's on YouTube. Yeah, because it's best known because... Yeah, because they played Benedict and Beatrice, didn't they? Mm. <laughs> yeah, go on then. If you say, I feel like I feel like I feel like Shakespeare conversation isn't welcome here. It, oh, of course it is. It's just very hard. I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it was it was a very good production. They were both very good productions. Really good casts. Really fun times. <laughs> you know, Shakespeare comedy when done right is surprisingly really funny. Like the language is still really funny. Is it as funny as Phoenix? Um, I can't really tell people to watch it because. It depends on who you are. Which one's funnier? They're so different. If you had to pick. Garlic bread. If I had to pick. Garlic bread. Garlic bread. 
What do you want me to say? <laughs> I can't say Phoenix Wright Phoenix Knights is better than William Shakespeare, can I? I well, can I? You can. You just did. <laughs> so I edit it right. <laughs> I, 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 well, Shakespeare survived 400 years. Is Phoenix Knights going to survive 400 years? I mean, maybe it will. Maybe it will. I can't say. Maybe we will still be quoting garlic bread in 400 years' time. Are people saying garlic bread now? Do you know what? I, I, I don't know. I was in Morrison's maybe about two months ago. And it was quite late. It was maybe about 10 o'clock at night. And there was uh, a mum and a dad and a, and a daughter. And they, I heard them go down the next aisle. And I just heard the dad go, hey, garlic bread? <laughs> and just like, no response whatsoever. And I remember thinking... I hate people who still say garlic bread. When people say it, I'm like, why? Why are you still saying that? It's as funny as going, my wife, oh, very nice. It's not funny anymore. I'm trying to think of other, like, 2000s things that people Just learn of people walking around um, going, aha! <laughs> or people, like, doing, like, their best, like, Family Guy yeah, voices. Yeah, people who go giggity. That's never been uh, funny. People doing Surfing Bird and their Peter Griffin voice, yeah. <laughs> Dear me. Dear me. <laughs> I hope that in 400 years' time, the internet's still around and someone buys this on a little hard drive somewhere and goes, oh, what were they talking about 400 years ago? They just turn it on it's me. You go, garlic bread. <laughs> they go, we say that now. <laughs> What if garlic bread doesn't exist? What if, like, garlic is, like, cake. run out? Cake of cheese. I'm not a big fan of cheesecake. Really. Should, should we introduce the next episode, Harry? Good luck with this one. I would, but I can't remember. Series 4 episode... What episode are we on? This, uh, this is episode 3. I, I did have to Google it before oh, we started. God, <laughs> no! How am I meant to do this one? Um... <laughs> The Earth is a it planet. Is. You know, sometimes I look. Sometimes I look at you know this wonderful planet we live on. I'm like, ooh, that's a nice planet. Um, and if I'm with someone called like Dan, I'm like, ooh, Dan, that's a nice planet. But sometimes my mate Dan, he's really rude. He cuts me off, so I only get to go ood. So I look at this planet. I'm like, ood, planet of the ood. What we watching here? <laughs> Do you know what? One of the Oods! <laughs> Come back next week for the Sontaran weapons. That one's going to be great. I just need to open my window again. <laughs> right, we'll oh. see you on the flip side of these adverts, guys. See you in a bit. Shut up! Yeah. Shut up! Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Watch Along segment of Big On Inside the New Who Don't Do Watch Along podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed those exciting jingles. And Harry, the news this week, well, it, it, well, um, sum it up for us. The highlight for you was you what? Was what? Um, when I said that really funny thing. 
Yes, I did. I always say something funny, Tim. Did you take your volume down just a tad? Because I can slightly hear my my own voice coming back, just slightly. My volume. Okay. Um, well, if I try and plug my headphones in. Uh, if you found them, yeah, that'd be good. I will pause recording and we'll come back. And as if by magic, Harry, we are back just like that, and we're all headphoned up and ready to go. You would have thought after four seasons we would have maybe had a slight idea of what we were doing, but we don't. But I'll tell you what we are doing, Harry. We're going to be talking about uh, an episode of Doctor Who, Series 4, Episode 3, I want to say, which is called what, Harry? Plants are viewed by Keith Temple, is it? Yeah, it's Keith Temple. Now, that name came up and I went, who the heck is that man? Never heard his name before. Um, Had a look on his TARDIS wiki, hadn't wrote for Doctor Who before and hasn't wrote for Doctor Who since. Um, not even anything with Big Finish, I don't think. Um, it's done Emmerdale and stuff like that, and Biker Grove. He can't see, man! Um, but that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> me, and, uh, me and Harry have a mutual friend called Joshua, and whenever me and Joshua go to the cinema and the lights go out, uh, one of us will shout, I can't see, man, as loud as we can. <laughs> so if you're ever in the cinema and you hear someone shout that, it's uh, it's one of us too. But yeah, Planet of the Ood, um, the return. Were you even were you even old enough to were you even old enough to like grow up with Biker Grove before it was before no? Time? I wasn't old enough to go up with Biker Grove. I feel like people of our generation who were old enough to grow up with Biker Grove just know that one clip from appearing on Saturday Night Takeaway and Best of Nineteen Nineties Television, and now that's what I call Nineteen Nineties and stuff like that. Yeah. Where they have like Pat Sharp sat in front of shows. a green screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they have like an ex Basil Brush presenter sat in front of a green screen going, and I remember this advert as well. <laughs> I must um, be the dream. Like when you get to a point in your celebrity where you can just like do that and that's your yeah. work. You don't even need to like act or whatever it is you did beforehand. Good old Andy Peters. That's all he does nowadays. Anyway, Doctor Who, Planet of the Ood. The first returning appearance of the Ood since uh, my least favourite episode of Series 2 and the same pit in the Impossible Planet. Uh, Harry, what did you think of Planet of the Ood? Um, Before I get into this episode, um, I couldn't help but think of you during this episode at the point when there was a brief callback to um, Impossible Planet and same pit where yes. Donna asks the doctor about it, and he says, it's a long story. I immediately thought <laughs> of you, and they said that. Yeah, because I think that was my one criticism. If anybody has, if anyone's joined us, because I know through Spotify, we've got some new listeners who are only listening for the first time through Series 3 onwards. So if you're um, joining us, do go back to uh, Series 2, which is on iTunes and YouTube for free, So uh, and listen to our review of the Satan Pit and Possible Planet, which my main criticism was, this is a very long, boring story. But um, I couldn't say the same for Planet of the Youth, which I very much enjoyed. But uh, let's start at the very start of the episode. The Uda evil once again, this nice, kind, loving species, keeps getting taken advantage of in many different ways. Um, what do you think of the Ood? I quite like them. I feel they've got sort of a lower status than the Weeping Angel. They're, they're, people recognise them as a Doctor Who monster, but they, they haven't really been in the show since 2010. Yeah, I think they're cool. They're p- pretty much one of the, of the kind of um, 
modern era, when it comes to the mon- new monsters that have endured, the only two I can think of that have really had any sustained endurance would be the Weeping Angels, the Uden, I guess the J- the Judoon now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's strange, isn't it? I rem- I rem- Go on, sorry. No, it comes on you. I was going to say, there are monsters like the Slovene, which... I think you could show to people and people would know what it's from. And some people might even know its name, but it's just never come back and it's never returned. Obviously, it's returned through Sarah Jane and things like that. But it is strange that New Who has these sort of... New Who very rarely brings back its own new monsters. It seems like there's always, oh, they're bringing back the Zygons again, or they're bringing back the Autons, or they're bringing back the Daleks and the Sontarans, you know, these classic monsters... But it's very rare that they sort of go, oh, we're bringing back a, a new Who monster like the Jadoon. I mean, they've only really returned once, few Fugitive of the Jadoon, Fugitive of the Jadoon um, which is kind of exciting. So I, I quite like it when we get these new Who monsters return, and it sort of staples them within the franchise. Yeah, and I really like the Ood especially. I really like the design. I think even at the time, it was really cool kind of like the... I'm guessing it's like some kind of costume head that they've got on, as opposed to a yeah. prosthetic. My understanding is that there's a, there's a prosthetic that the actors wear, but then the, there's a, a doctor actor called Paul Casey, I want to say, who he's like the lead monster actor on the series, and his his prosthetic comes with electronics in it that blink and move and stuff like that. Hmm. I mean, it's really cool. It kind of looks, obviously, the most iconic monster and stuff like Darks and Cybermen, which are very kind of metallic and machine-based. And this is something, yeah. in contrast, that is very organic. And mm. it, you look at it, the way it moves and like, just the texture, and it feels very real and tangible. I really rate the zooms aesthetically. And then also, it's kind of this episode shows, because whilst they were obviously introduced in Impossible Planet Satan Pit, this is the story that really kind of expanded on kind of the lore of the Ood and what they're all about. Yeah, and they're a very interesting creature. There's a lot going on with them, and a lot that is explored with them in this episode, especially. Yeah, I really like you touched on it. There, I really like the um, sort of art, the sort of nature nature side of these monsters, where they're aliens rather than robots and metal monsters and stuff like that. Like, I like the design of the Daleks and the Cybermen. They're cool, man, but. I like the way the Slovene look, and I like the way the Absorberloft looks. I like the way these characters have an actual suit. They're not CGI, because I don't really like the pigment thing from the Whitaker era. I know when we spoke to... Uh, um, oh, this isn't good. The names escapes me. When we spoke with... Oh, no, don't let me. It will come back. Channel Pup. When we spoke with Channel Pup about... Um, the Absorbaloff, he always said he sort of saw that pigment thing as a little like child of the Absorbaloff. And I saw it sort of got me thinking from there that if they were to bring something like that back, it would, or if they were to do the Absorbaloff now, chances are it would be a CG character. But I think Dot 2's at its best when it when it's all in camera almost, like the sequel trilogy with Star Wars, these in camera effects and these prosthetic monsters and that sort of homemade aspect of it, I think looks really well. I mean, the thing that seems to be becoming the norm more and more nowadays is kind of that blend of kind of where the main thing is some sort of physical prop or animatronic, and then they have CG enhancements over it. Like, for example, kind of Grogu in The Mandalorian, I know, is for the most part a puppet or animatronic, but then there's stuff like the blinking and more intricate movements are kind of these CG little tweaks that just make it feel that bit more alive. 
Yeah, that's great. I think that's a really good hybrid of the two because I think I saw this week Ewan McGregor speaking about the prequels of Star Wars where he was saying that he was quite disappointed when they got rid of the puppet Yoda and replaced it with a CG version because it just instantly does... As an actor as well, I imagine that's quite more difficult because there's nothing to act against, but it also loses the charm, I feel, um, of a compared to a puppet. Whereas I feel now they've really got that good balance going of it's a puppet, but we're going to CGI the mouth a little bit or the eyelids, that sort of stuff. I think the thing for Yoda for me as well, which was especially disappointing, and this is a Doctor Who podcast, but I just need to say <laughs> this, is that in kind of like the original trilogy and in Phantom Menace originally, Yoda was never just kind of a voiced character like that. He was a puppet. He was puppeteered and voiced by Frank Oz. It was a whole performance. Yeah. And by replacing that with CGI, you're taking away a huge part of what Frank was contributing to that character. Yeah. Like he added so much more to Yoda than just that voice. Exactly, yeah. He, yeah, exactly. He's Yoda, isn't he? Anyway, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Let's go back to the start of the episode. There's a scene where the Doctor and Donna are landing the TARDIS and the Doctor claims to have put it, you know, he's they find the TARDIS, they're landing it, and it does this really cool effect where they're literally just throwing themselves around this empty set. And I love the way it's done because the director's gone, okay, just put a camera on this till and the camera just goes from left to right, left to right. And between the left and right, the Doctor and Donna just throwing themselves around and it's so simplistic and it is kind of corny and i do kind of i do like it but it's also so effective as well i mean i've done it i mean i've done it myself it works yeah i was i was just about to say um uh, listeners harry was recently in, in a play that i watched online and within that play there was, i nearly did text you after watching it but i thought oh, I'll, I'll wait uh, there is a sequence in which um i don't want to spoil it in case anybody else gets a chance to see it or if it goes anyway there's a sequence where the cast throw this... now. It was like a live oh, okay there's a sequence where the characters throw themselves around this apartment and the camera because you're watching it through the live stream the camera moves around as well and uh, I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is very Doctor Who-esque. And it, 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 come, it it's so good how that effect is so simple. And I like the fact we haven't been able to better it since 1963 because that it, it just works so well. I mean, literally, when I was doing it in there, the thing that was going through my high mind was, I'm in the TARDIS going through the time <laughs> vortex. That was the kind of thing <laughs> I was going for with the rocking back and forth. Yeah, it was great. I really liked that part. Um, I in in this episode of Doctor Who, there's a, a, a noticeable difference between Donna and past companions that I think we touched on previously. Uh, but one of these is that when and the Knife Doctor took Rose to Victorian London in An Unquiet Dead and it's snowing, she has that whole moment of stepping out of the TARDIS and talking about the snow and being on Victorian snow and being in snow that she goes on about the snow for ages now. This snow shouldn't exist. The way Donna comes out, she's amazed by that. It's so cold and she's just. I really like the way that they've sort of characterised Donna as this worldly person who's experienced a lot of stuff in life. She isn't just a, a young 20-summit teenager who's uh, amazed by a guy in a smart suit. You know, she's there to experience life, so it doesn't really matter what happens. She's still got all that sort of background life knowledge going through her head, so she... You know, and that does come in handy in a minute as well when she encounters a dead dude, but... um yeah, what did you think to Donna's involvement in this episode? I say I feel like it is interesting that kind of it's something I said in the last episode, and I'll say it again here. Kind of the expectation with Donna with Catherine Tate is that she's going to be a straight up comedic companion, but she really isn't. I think the main thing, kind of like you said, is that she isn't just some young person who's starstruck. She brings kind of a certain 
level of maturity to these situations that I'm not saying other companions couldn't have done, but here it's very, it just feels very prevalent. Kind of especially her kind of attitude towards the Oud is this very, is immediate kind of concern for these vulnerable creatures and yeah. this very protective feeling, which I mean, I can't remember exactly what Rose's attitude was towards the Oud in Impossible Planet and Satan Pit. But I think it she was just, like it was much more. I think she was slightly mm-hmm. taken back, wasn't she, by the fact that they were just sort of dinner ladies, really. And that's what she had sort of done. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another cast This episode has a. It, it, I like it. I I really like this episode because I feel it does everything the Impossible Planet tries to do, but does it a lot better because that's quite a big ensemble cast. Um, and one member of this ensemble cast that is really well done is, and I've forgotten the character's name, so I will have a quick look. But it's Blackadder's very own Tim McKinnery, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, as um the main sort of evil villain of the episode. Um, who you know has one of the best Doctor Who deaths ever. I feel. Um, how did you feel? I'm just looking up to find out what his character's name. I think it's like Hyman or Hellman. Um, Halpen, uh, played Kil- K- Kyleman Halpen. That's a very strange name. Um, but I feel he's just known by his last name, which is Halpen. So we'll call him Halpen. Um, really great performance from um, Tim McKinnery in this episode. It's, it's someone who's, you know, mainly known for Blackadder and hanging around with Rowan Atkinson and, um, you know, Hugh Laurie and all that. It's a really great performance, very menacing performance as well. Mm. Well, the thing that struck me as very interesting is that while he is kind of like running this Ood operation and, you know, he's the one that's kind of conducting this whole awful affair with these Ood slaves, he has this weird kind of affection for kind of the one Ood that he has by his side. And the way Sigma. That, he, he says does, something, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. And he, he says something about how Ood Sigma he's had him since he was a child or something like that. I believe he does, yeah. I, right? Yeah, I, I really like that because it's almost like there is that somewhat. I saw the confidential, and Russell said that they try and do it as often as they can, which is fun, sort of. Oh, sorry. I was just checking our Instagram, which is sort of Doctor Who monsters that aren't actually that evil. They're quite business type people because that's kind of more what an audience can relate to. So I feel like having that aspect of it where it's a human character who has human elements to him makes it slightly more relatable. You hope, therefore, redeemable, but not always the case. This really is a story in which um, while the Ood are the quote-unquote monsters, you know, the real monster is man. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds corny, and it, it... it is handled in a way that makes it doesn't feel corny. Um, yeah. But that is essentially what the message of this story is. It is, it is. And let's be honest, um, it, we'll, we'll get somewhat semi-serious for a minute. Um, it's quite a slightly political episode of Doctor as well, because it harkens back to a lot of historical past wars with, um, you go back to World War Two where the um, Timmy Kinnery's character is about to gas all the innocent ouds that are just not needed anymore. This very clear imagery of where that's come from. And there is also a quite a good moment as well, which I think works very well with the character of Donna, in which she is sort of upset by the fact that ouds are being kept as slaves. And then the doctor sort of goes, well, who do you think makes your clothes on earth? Which is still a, a, a massive 
thing that's going on now. Um, I feel it does really touch on those moments really well. And I, I don't know. I, I, I've noticed that a lot more watching these RTD episodes because I, I know people watch the Chibnall era now and they go, oh, it's way too political and it's left-wing and all this. But you've only got to just go back and watch a handful of these episodes to sort of see that Doctor Who's always had that political edge to it. Absolutely. I mean, that that second example you've mentioned, especially about the Doctor challenging Donna in that way, about who makes her clothes, I imagine for a lot of young viewers, like, kind of... is very bold to put in a show which is, you know, targeted at a demographic which includes children. And yeah. I imagine for a lot of viewers that have been for children that would have been their first times kind of having these kind of challenges brought up to them and having them think and consider these kind of things yeah and i just got to give props to that yeah 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 um apparently in 2105 years time the simpsons is still a popular cultural pop culture reference that um even people on other planets will be able to pick up on yeah, <laughs> I like it. It's a fun little thing, but I think the practicality of it is maybe a little, a little strange. I was kind of hoping that the Ood would say like a, a quote from "Some Mothers Do Have Them" or "One Foot in the Grave," <laughs> keeping up appearances. Some really far gone British comedy that not a lot of people now would even get, but, but that would have been funny. Uh, do you think that people will remember who what, remember the Simpsons in two thousand years' time? It's a hard one to call. Probably not. I don't. I mean, you. I, I know we think we spoke about this before, where we said thanks to the internet, our history is pretty permanently, you know, ingrained in society. But probably somebody said something very similar two thousand years ago when they wrote it on a cave wall. They're probably like, look at that. Look how much detail there is. Man will know forever that we fought an ox or something. <laughs> I can't but feel that it's going to take a long time for an animated show to come along that will surpass The Simpsons and just kind of sheer length that it's been around. Exactly. Like, right. I can't think of any contemporary shows right it'll now. It'll still be on. <laughs> but that's it. I can't think of a show on TV right now that has the promise of longevity that The Simpsons has managed to fulfill. Although maybe you could say that The Simpsons never had that promise of longevity. And it's Star Trek somehow... Lower Decks. Is that, the, is that the new animated Star Trek series? It's appalling. It's so bad. My dad's a big Star I've Trek fan, right? And uh, I am a fan of the... Um, I know they're not all by J.J. Abrams, but the Abrams free movies, Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond and Into Darkness. I know it's not that older. But um, I'm a big fan of those. I really cannot stand the TV stuff. I really don't like the original series. I don't like... Deep Space Nine, I don't like the one with Patrick Stewart, but this animated one came along and I was like, oh well, put this on you like Star Trek, I kind of like this comedy animation, we'll watch it, but like I'm watching it and one minute they're like dropping an F-bomb and then the next minute they're making a poo joke and I'm like who is this aimed at? I'm like who's the audience here? I don't get what's going on. It's trying to do Rick and Morty but not as good. That's the thing though because I feel like if you look at kind of like Rick and Morty is definitely like the trend in current animation. Because I feel like when The Simpsons came out, there were a handful of shows that there wasn't any straight up Simpsons imitations, but there were kind of shows that were kind of in the same vein, were doing the same thing. And like Family Guy came on, and suddenly there was like for a good decade, at least there were loads of 
really poor Family Guy imitations. Mm. Now Rick and Morty's come along and we're inundated in Rick and Morty imitations. For some reason, adult animation seems to think it can only ever be one thing at any one time. It just has to, all all adult animation has to be comedy and a a clone of the most popular show currently. Yeah. I don't know why, because it doesn't always work. I remember, so... uh... Some context reference is my parents don't live together, so sometimes I stay. When I was younger, anyway, I would stay at my dad's. And very recently, I my dad's had a new kitchen fitted, so I was over early and over early in the morning, like seven a.m. And in the past, when I would stay over, like I would wake up and we would watch like Hanna Barbera cartoons, like Scooby Doo, Tom and Jerry, and stuff like that. And then I was having breakfast there that morning before we moved the kitchen, and these cartoons were. I was like, oh, we'll watch these, and we put Scooby Doo on, and it was like. Have you seen what the new... I know this has nothing to do with Doctor Who, but have you seen what the new Scooby-Doo cartoons look like? Let me try and find the picture. Have you well, seen I know what there the... was one that was basically trying to look like Family Guy, wasn't there? Let me try and find the Rick and Morty no. one. The was it called, one. like... Are you thinking of... Was it, like, called... Is it the new one, like, meant to be, like, a big homage to the old Scooby-Doo? Or, like... I don't know. I don't... I... I find it's going to be a very fascinating property because it's very malleable. It feels like it can so be just about Daphne. whatever the hell it wants to be. This isn't very oh good God, for listeners yes. at home. Yeah, but they look like Family Guy characters. There's Fred. I think they look more like Rick and Morty. There's somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Shaggy's a bit more Rick and Morty-esque, I guess. Yeah. There you go. That doesn't yeah, really work for anybody at home. More. No, I prefer the simple plan version of Scooby Doo. That's where it. That's where it was at its best. Well, say Scooby Doo, we're coming at you. Moving after you, gonna solve that mystery. <laughs> that was great. No wonder I love that show so much. Um, back to Doctor Who. Back to Doctor Who. Um, a part that really stood out for me, though it didn't stand out for me, I just noticed it. Is when the Doctor and Donna sort of huddle onto this meeting of people going around the factory their costumes make them stand out so much compared to everybody else everybody else is in like a black suit and tie and leather gloves and then there's donna in that big fluffy hooded coat and then there's a doctor in his the blue suit the blue suit is back um and i really like the way that the costume design department have gone a, a long way to sort of make sure that these characters do stand out from screen and they don't just blend into the background mm, so I think that's important. I think kind of obviously a character's um I feel like it's always the case that a character's costume is always has to be in some way a reflection of the character themselves. And I feel like you can't just put a character it, it's never the other way around. It's never like the character gets the costume and then the character comes from that. I mean sometimes it is, but rarely. But clearly yeah. like, these are two characters where their characterization has been thought out very clearly they're very defined and as a result the costumes they wear are also very striking very defined and very much them definitely yeah um what did you think to the sequence where the doctor's running away from a giant claw yeah there's a big old cg claw they've had yeah. i mean i know the doctors always run but the tenth doctor like they've really been shaking up the ways you can run haven't they they've had him running from explosions had him running from big old lazarus now it's a giant uh toy story call they have yeah i i saw an interview with uh where i don't know if you remember when peter capaldi was announced as the doctor they did a television thing where they announced who it was going to be 
it was a big special, he, wasn't it? Yeah, and they and he said that he had met Matt Smith in a cafe that they had gone out for something to eat or something, and you know, to like talk about the role. And that Matt Smith came on on crutches and he had a knee injury because for, from running through Doctor Who. And then I think in his first series of filming Doctor Who, Peter Capaldi got exactly the same knee injury. <laughs> and oh, apparently, really? what it, apparently what it is, is the way they get it, it's because they run up corridors and they pivot at the end to turn and look at what they what's chasing them. And it's the pivot as you're running that breaks your knee. Oh shoot! Never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe have a bit more respect for your actors next time, Harry. Next time you're slagging them off on a podcast. Yeah, because I I, not, I notoriously have no respect for actors. Notoriously. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. So I think that core thing's quite good. It's good fun, isn't it? It's a nice little set piece, a little break, isn't it? I like it when Doctor Who does these little fun moments where it's sort of you know everything's going to be okay, but it's more just a bit of fun to watch. It's what do they call it on like kind of um, PG DVDs where it contains mild peril. <laughs> it probably is. I mean, I've got a series four DVD just above me, and it's a twelve. Should we read why it's a twelve? Oh. Yeah, what does it, it contain? Um, suitable. Oh, it says suitable for only persons of twelve years or older. Well, it doesn't actually say. What if I open it up? Is it a card boot for four pounds? What is this? I know. Um, it doesn't unfortunately say on it. It just says it's only suitable for people over the age of 12. But it probably is because uh, there's um, suggestion of violence and sexual activities, I imagine. Yeah, speaking of violence, oh, there's a real big head count on both Ood and humans in this episode. There is a lot of people die. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of yeah. oods get shot straight through the head. <laughs> that one ood who tries and runs away and cowers behind a couple of bins before going rabid. Yeah. And not, not to mention all the oods that kind of just electrocute rich people in the forehead. That's true, that's true. Um, should we talk about the best death in this episode, which is Tim McKinnery's character, where he peels off his own face. Um, that's a great effect, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, how I'm, I'm guessing because before that, there's a shot of him going down. So I imagine that it's, it, it'll be like a prosthetic face over the new prosthetic that's being pulled well, on. What I what I heard is that, or what I what I know because I watched it on Confidential is that they filmed a shot with Tim McKinnery. So they got Tim McKinnery in. They then put an some of the ood, like the top half of the ood head on his head and then put a pros- another prosthetic above that head of Tim McKinnery's actually he- of his actual head so it looks like he's peeling off okay. his own head to reveal the nude head so there's actually two layers on top of Tim McKinnery's actual actual head but it is Tim McKinnery doing it yeah yeah nude. yeah apart from the shot of his mouth which is okay. one of the uh is one of the runners because they they didn't shoot it. I think. Oh no, they shot a front forward shot where you would have saw everything come out of his mouth. But Russell said it would look too much like he was being sick, so they uh, mm. went for a side angle instead. But I think a front angle would have been better. Yes. You think so? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna go that far with showing the head, you may as well show the full thing. How do you, do you just have to like fill your mouth with the tentacles and then just like open it and let the tentacles fall out? I don't know. 
I feel like they were going to CG them in because the footage that they showed okay. was just Tim McKinnery with his mouth open, sort of gagging into a camera. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure if some intern wanted, they could do some very strange things with. Um, there's a lot of talk about The Circle on this show. I never realised that Ood was such a fan of the Channel 4 reality television show, The Circle. Well, I'm not a fan of it. They want, it, they want to break it. Or does that mean they want to be on the show? Like they want to break onto the circle. I don't know. Like, did you ever watch the circle? It was good. I watched the first thing. I've heard it's good. I've heard it's like one of it's a good reality show. Like they got cancelled. But... Oh, why is that? Yeah. Two seasons. Liked it. Yeah, I did as well. I just don't feel like anybody watches reality television anymore. Anyway, um, you don't think so? No, not really. I wrote. I just wrote a five thousand word essay on reality television. Oh, okay. So you, you're you're the expert here. <laughs> My conclusion was that people go on reality shows just to be famous. There is no other motive to it, um, and that reality shows now aren't really the driving force to be famous anymore. There isn't as many as there really. You think of a think of a reality show you could go on and become famous. It's Love Island, and that's it. Yeah. You don't get famous off X Factor anymore, or Britain's Up Talent, or anything like that. X Factor's been cancelled, hasn't it? Hooray! Well, I feel like it wasn't like, well, I guess it was kind of, it just wasn't renewed. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, so yeah, I think COVID out. kind of yeah. helps that situation out a bit. I don't think uh, I think ITV were kind of like done with the show before yeah. the COVID stuff. I think they were just taking whatever reason they could get to not put X Factor on. Um, what and did PGT you think? He's to... around. That's all right, isn't it? Uh, the old, that's only good though because Anna Decker on it. I also, I do feel like I, I hope that um, they keep Ashley Banjo on because he's all he's really breathed kind of a new lease of life into that judging panel. Yeah, he actually knows what he's talking about as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you think to the giant brain in the ground? Was that a was that a prosthetic? Or was that CG? CG. Okay, I mean, I feel like it blended through onto the environment. The only bit we kind of was, it was apparently CG was when the kind of undercover activists kind of fell into the brain and kind of like separated to engulf him. Yeah, like a giant ass. Yeah, other than that, it was a uh, what? What? It looked like he fell into a giant wrinkly ass and just fell right down the center. I, why is? That would have been funny. They don't reveal it for the full episode until they have to. And then they just show this poor guy falling 20 foot to his death right down the centre of an ass crack. Uh, no one can see my face right now, but it is... Uh, uh, why, Tim? Why? Why not? It would be funny, wouldn't it? Uh, um... I'm almost out of notes. I've got one last note here, Harry, which is almost one of the very closing lines of the episode. Is there anything we haven't spoken about yet that you would like to talk about before I get to this final line? I think I know what the closing line is that you're going to give us. Um, it is the ooh telling the doctor that his song is about to end. So I'm guessing yes. by this point, I'm guessing by this point, David Tennant had announced that he was stepping down from Doctor Who. Um, had he? I, feel I don't like think he had that. I don't oh, know. no, no, he I hadn't. It wasn't until the 2009 NTAs that he announced it. I feel like we did this different so week. Did, we did. And, like, that, that had me wondering, like, did, 
had David made that decision before now? Or was it a thing where Russell kind of knew that whatever David's last story would be, that Ood would play a part in it in some shape or form? David tended to leave Doctor Who. When was this uploaded? I'm trying to find an article that I can that is at least dated. David Tennant is the tenth Doctor. Uh, the time of Doctor. Who, I'm just having a quick look. Uh, David Tennant announces exit from Doctor. Who, the 30th of October 2008, and this episode was broadcast. Um, Planet of the Ood. Planet of the Ood was broadcast um, 19th of April 2008. So yeah, within so this year. This- I guess that by this point, David had already made his decision that he was going to leave, I guess. I imagine that, yeah, that they knew the specials would come in, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, this is, this is kind of the, the very first time we've got any kind of allusion to the 10th Doctor dying at all. It is, right? isn't it? Yeah, I, I thought we might have had one a bit earlier, but no. Yeah, I mean, I, unless, unless this is just um, Stoner foreshadowing. Oh, yeah, perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Um, award-winning actor announces his departure. David Tennant has announced that he will leave the award-winning BBC drama Doctor Who um, when he has completed the filming for four special episodes, which will be screened in 2009 and early 2010. Um, yeah. Spooky. Spooky. Uh, yeah, I was quite surprised though, that they announced that there was sort of foreshadowing to something. Your song is ending soon. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to sort of... I don't want to try and remember. I like it when I watch the episodes and I go, oh, yeah, that was very well done. Um, yeah. But one thing, Harry, you never remember is the answers to the quiz. Oh... Uh... As is the as is the tradition now with series four. Series four means four questions. Um, at the start of the episode, when the Doctor and Donna are flying the TARDIS, um, what setting does the Doctor say he's put the TARDIS on? Is it? It's not shuffle, is it? No, that's close. Is it just? It's not random, is it? It is random. Well done, Harry. Um, oh, I got it. When a rocket flies above the Doctor and Donna, what does Donna compare the rocket to in relation to the Doctor's TARDIS? She says, he's got a blank and oh, you've got like a com- blue. Yeah, like it's a Ferrari, right? Yes. What Maybe I just team? find Donna's... Don- Sorry, go on. Maybe I just find Donna's dialogue very memorable. Perhaps. What football team does Donna say she learned to cheer at? A whistle. She does a whistle, doesn't she? And the doctor says, where did you learn to whistle like that? And she says, watching what football team every Saturday? Um, Stab in the dark, because I don't know London football teams that well. Arsenal? <laughs> no, it's Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> it was one that. of them. It was going to be one of them. <laughs> Um, where is the Ood brain originally from? 
originally wrong. Yeah. Because then where does it... No, the big brain in, in the ground. Oh, is it where does... Oh, that brain. Um, yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Um, Place of origin. This is from TARDIS Wiki. Was this even mentioned in the episode? Like, Could have been. It's, it's quite obvious, though, once I say it. I'm guessing it's from, like, I don't know, Ood World. I don't know. Uh, I won't give you that. It was Ood Sphere. Oh, the Ood But yeah. where are we originally from? It's still in the Ood Sphere, isn't it? Well, there you, the oh. well, there you go, then. My grandma was originally from Hull. She still is. But the saying originally from suggests that you're no longer there. Not really. I mean, I don't know, when I move back to Hull, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say to people I'm originally from Hull. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've always lived in Hull. Oh, shut up. you got two out of four to deal with it. Okay. <laughs> what's the third question? Um, it was West Ham. Question. West Ham and Oothsphere. I mean West Ham. I actually want football team. Yeah, but you said it was Chelsea. No, I didn't. I said it was West Ham. No, you said Chelsea. Uh, did I? Uh, it wasn't Chelsea, it was West Ham. <laughs> well, I said Arsenal, so I was wrong either way, wasn't I? <laughs> Doesn't matter now. <laughs> Um, I just want to ask Hayes something, Harry. Whenever I, we, me and Harry went to London several years ago uh, with some friends, and we, as the train goes into London, it goes past the Arsenal Stadium, and Harry just under his breath went, uh, Arsenal. And every time I go into London or I see the word Arsenal, I always just mumble to the uh, Arsenal. <laughs> I, was, I was planning to exclude that, that joke, Tim. It crossed my mind when I said Arsenal for 12. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that joke. I thought, no, you know what? I've grown up since then. I'm above that joke. Even when I'm like with family, like me and my dad went like a couple of weeks after we went and I still said it. Um, are you excited for next week's episode, Harry, which is um, the return of Martha Jones? Hi, mm, it's a two-parter, isn't it? It is. Good old Santarans are back. How do you feel about that? Are you, anything at all? Any kind of excitement? Well, when I was a kid, it wasn't the Sontarans being back. It was the Sontarans being introduced. Oh, get you. But when I um, saw them, I was like, oh, it's the Jadoon, but without rhino heads. <laughs> um, but I'll quick, talk about that next week. On our Instagram, bigger on the pod, every week I ask you guys your opinions on these episodes. Um, thoughts on Planet of the Ood. Um, I've got a message here from G Van John, who says very impactful, and message here from Harry that just says the circle must be broken. So very good there, Harry. Um, follow the podcast on Instagram, bigger on the pod, and let us know your thoughts on these episodes. Uh, anything to recommend, Harry? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Me? Ooh. Yes. Um. Let's see. Yeah, I checked out this movie uh, called um, High Fidelity. Uh, it's uh, from 2000. It's kind of, I, I'd never heard about it before, um, but then I heard about it because I was given it for a uh, showreel um, on my course. And so after doing the showreel, I checked out the movie. Uh, stars John Cusack. 
Uh, it's just it's very different to anything I've seen before. I've not actually watched a John Cusack film before, but like he's he's a very unconventional protagonist, a very kind of weirdly kind of charming actor. And yeah. it's not it's it's kind of a rom-com, but not um not a traditional rom-com moment by any sense. It's kind of adapted from Nick Hornby book. And it's kind of like as a protagonist, you don't like you're not instantly endeared to him, you don't instantly like him. But you can tell he's like not the best guy in the world, but you're kind of like you spend a lot of the movie, especially the first half, just watching him trying to figure out what is with this guy? What do I think yeah. of this guy? Like, what's he all about? He's, he's a great kind of protagonist. And it's very much him. It's a very, he's done in a very Shirley Valentine style, where a lot of it is him just monologuing straight to the camera, talking to the audience. Cool. Um, Rob is a 30-year-old record store owner who is trying to understand why he's always unlucky in relationships. He attempts to wreck it. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, reconcile. and then there's a, reconcile his relationship with Laura, who recently dumped him. Uh, for context, that's a drill in the background near Harry's house. Um, you can listen. You can listen. You can watch that on Disney Plus. I guess on Disney Plus. Yeah, also stars Jack Black as well. Yeah, Jack Black's there, and I'm not sure if this is before he can. I think this is just before he blew up super big. I know. Was I? Th- I imagine. That Tenacious D was already a thing by this point, but maybe Jack Black wasn't like the big comedy star that he is now. Maybe he hadn't done Jumanji two. Oh yeah, there was a Jumanji two. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to recommend um, a new series on Amazon Prime now. Um, those who follow me on Twitter at Tim X Saxby, nice plug there, thank you. Um, well, now I'm a somewhat of a fan of um, Top Gear and a Grand Tour. Um, I think like a lot of people, I was somewhat disappointed by the two recent specials of the Grand Tour. I've always found them... that I, I, The thing about Top Gear that I always really liked was how natural it seemed and the chemistry between the three of them was very funny. And anything silly or dramatic that would happen to any three of them always seemed very natural. But that sort of seems lost with the Grand Tour and it seemed overly staged. But um, Clarkson's Farm is a new series on Amazon Prime in which Jeremy Clarkson basically runs his own farm sounds like a sitcom idea but the guy actually owns a farm outside of the show um, it's basically just documenting him on his farm and it's it's hilariously funny um but also very sort of moving in places and very insightful into the life of a farmer um, follow jeremy clarkson as he attempts to run a farm in the countryside with no previous farming experience jeremy contends uh, with the worst farming weather in decades uh, disasterable animals, um, uncooperative crops, and an unexpected pandemic. So there is a lot of stuff going on there. And the conclusion to the episode, um, the conclusion to the series, which I worked for, is fascinating. It's amazing. And the revelation that comes at the end. So a lot of people should watch that and really enjoy it. It's really easy watching as well, which is good. I think it sounds very interesting. Not yeah, something cool. you think would work, but it does. Who'd it does. It? Now, the old, that giant B seems to be getting closer and closer, so I'm sure we'll um, wrap up this episode. Um, we will see you again next Oh, no, week. it's the wasp from the wasp and the unicorn. It's outside my house. It's going to get me. <laughs> I'll say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Harry, do you want to say goodbye? I would, but I have to fight back this giant wasp. This is going to take a while. Will I survive? Tune in next week to find out. Oh, dang.
Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.